Friends, let me invite you to grab your Bible. If you would, grab a Bible and turn with me to Second Samuel. Second Samuel, we will be looking in our time together at chapter 3 of Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter 3. And we will take the second half of that chapter beginning at verse 22 down to the end of verse 39. Friends, I have titled this evening's sermon, Murder and Mourning. Murder and Mourning. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 22. Beloved, let's read God's word together. The word of God says, Just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he has let him go, and he has gone in peace. And Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner the son of Ner came to deceive you, and to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you are doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach so that he died, for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother as a hell to death in the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the bear. They buried Abner at Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me, and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them as everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you know, not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. The Lord repaid the evildoer according to his wickedness. Friends, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray and ask your blessing now as we come to your word. Help us to see your glory. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see Christ, the righteous king, who rules his kingdom in justice. Father, thank you that you are the just judge of all the earth. We ask your blessing now in his name. Amen. All right, friends, remember from last week that we saw the defection of Abner to David's side uh, after a, a falling out with uh, Ishbosheth, 
Abner decides that he will help David to establish his hold upon the kingdom of Israel. And we saw how Abner uh, demonstrated that he truly was the power behind the throne. Uh, he was the true power in, the, in Israel. And, and he takes uh, Michael and he goes and he meets with David at David's capital of Hebron. And there in Hebron, we see that uh, David and Abner come into an alliance. They make for peace, and Abner joins David as one of his officers. And Abner, uh, full of zeal and determined to do what he had promised, as he had made his oath of fealty to David, says, I will arise now and go, and I will bring over the whole of the people to you, O king. So David sends Abner away from Hebron in peace. And we see that not much time has passed after Abner has left Hebron, after the great feast and the peace and all of that joyful occasion. We see in verse 22 the arrival of the servants of David and who is in lead, who is with them but Joab. Now we're reminded, verse 22, that Joab comes from a raid. Remember, warfare is going on. And so the People of Judah, the armies of David, are raiding their enemies. So they may be raiding uh, those that belong to Ishbosheth. They could be raiding the Philistines or the Amalekites. But there is fighting going on. And so Joab, who is, after all, the principal commander that David entrusted to fight Abner at the Battle of Gibeon, this mighty man Joab has just come back. From a victorious raid. And we're told in verse 22 that he brings much spoil with him. This is important. Joab is coming back to Hebron as one who is seen as a warrior, as a leader of the army of David, as one who has just been victorious and whose soldiers are riding high from a present, from a from a recent victory. And they are enjoying the fruits of that spoil. So Joab's stock is high. And this is something we see over and over again in the career of Joab. Joab is an army man. He's a rough guy. He is very concerned about his own position, but he always seems to have the favor of the army. He is... uh, you know, he is the general that the men respect and follow and love. They love David, but they also love Joab. And so there's some politics going on here. Well, Joab comes up, and Joab didn't know about this peace treaty between Abner and David. And Joab is not happy about it. So as soon as Joab gets word, we see in verse 23 that Abner, the son of Ner, has come to the king. Verse 24, Joab marches in and says to David, Abner came as a spy. Why did you send him away in peace? Don't you know Abner? Abner is our enemy. Abner has been fighting against us all these years. Abner is of the house of Saul. Abner is helping your enemy, Ishbosheth. Of course he came speaking peace. Of course he promised you that he would help deliver the kingdom over to you. But Joab says, Abner came to deceive you. You cannot trust Abner, the son of Ner. He came to see your going outs and your coming in. So publicly, before David and presumably before his court, what Joab is charging Abner with is he's a spy. 
He's come to deceive David and to deceive the people of Judah. Well, friends, we know because the rest of the narrative tells us that even though that's what Joab is saying, it may not be everything that he believes. He may truly believe that Abner is a treacherous man. It's contrary to his reputation. Abner has proven himself to be a man of integrity, a man who's loyal to his word, a man who is patient with Asahel, a man who, there was a guy trying to chase him down to kill him, and Abner gave him two warnings to stop before he finally put him to death himself. Abner has shown himself to be a man who does what he, you know, does what he says. He says what he means, and, and he is a man of integrity whose word can be trusted. But Joab has a vendetta against David. So what are we reminded? Well, friends, we're reminded that politics happens, even in the life of the church, uh, even among God's people. And so, friends, we have to be very conscious of our own selves and, and of our own relationships one to another. Friends, because in the church, sometimes uh, we can have little infights and there can be disruptions and dissensions over over little things, over positions and responsibilities, uh, you know, whether it's uh, a post as, as, you know, the head of the kitchen committee or, or whatever that position may be, friends, whether we can often sometimes find that there will be politics and infighting and, and all manner of disruption. So, friends, let's be very careful. When we're thinking about, uh, you know, these things, we want to walk in love. We want to speak the truth one to another. Uh, friends, sometimes it's very easy for us to kind of say one thing in public, but whisper another thing in private. Remember, the scriptures tell us uh, that, that we're not to be those who are whisperers and gossip. Remember, the scriptures tell us that that's the fruit of the flesh. That's not the fruit of the spirit to be a gossip and a slanderer and all those things. So, friends, the Christian is called in the fear of the Lord to speak plainly. We're to speak plainly to our brothers and sisters. So, friends, when it comes to these, you know, conversations and when we have these things that we need to work out, we're called to not be like Joab, but to speak the truth plainly and in love. So, friends, Joab has a vendetta. And what's the vendetta? Well, he is planning to kill Abner. So in verse 26, we see that Joab goes out from David's presence and summons Abner. And we're reminded David didn't know about it. Abner is just a few miles away in Syrah, and Abner returns to Hebron. Now remember, Hebron is a principal city of Judah. It has been a major city since uh, the very beginning. And friends, Hebron is actually where Abraham's buried. Uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that cave of Machpelah, it's uh, by the Oaks of Mamre, which is near Hebron. So Hebron's a big, important place to the people of God. Uh, but, but right now, friends, Hebron, as this principal city, has a large gate. And so you have to think of it more like a gatehouse. There's not just the entry portal, that wooden structure of, do of a door, but there's also all this space in the wall that have rooms, Right, so, so friends, the gate in Israel was more or less the city hall uh, and the courthouse. Uh, it was the municipal building. So the elders would meet in these gatehouse rooms. Uh, the people would meet together to conduct business. They were 
private rooms. They were public spaces. You know, you could go in and shut the door. So Joab knows that this is a place where he can be alone with Abner. He can get him away from the 20 men, the 20 bodyguards that had followed him, right? So Joab takes Abner aside, presuming to speak to him about a private matter. And when they're alone, he kills him. Cold blood murder. His blood is spilled, and we're reminded, verse 27, that's because of Azahel, his brother. Now, friends, in the law of God, there is a provision for what's called the, um, the avenger of blood. And so the idea of the avenger of blood is this. If a person is slain unjustly, say, for example, a man is murdered, then the avenger of blood, which many times was a kinsman, maybe a father or a son or an uncle or a brother, right? This avenger of blood had the responsibility to come uh, and he could bring charges against the accused. And in certain cases, he could even deal out that judgment. And so, friends, there was a, there was a provision in the law of God for cities of refuge. And actually, Hebron is one of these cities of refuge, where if a man slayed a, a person and it was unintentional, the manslayer could come and he would be safe in Hebron until his case could be heard by the Lord's officers, by the high priests or the, or the Levites that were there. So there would be a day in court for that matter to be adjudicated. And even if he was, a, you know, he was acquitted of murder, but he was charged with manslaughter, he would have to stay in that city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But notice that Joab just takes it into his own hands. This is revenge, plain and simple. Whatever, whatever Joab had said about the matter, his real desire was to kill Abner for the sake of his brother. Friends, murder is a big deal. Now, friends, we distinguish between the taking of life lawfully and the taking of life unlawfully. We talked about how God looks at that. Um, friends, we're reminded, for example, uh, in, uh, in the Noahic Covenant, in Genesis chapter 9, we're reminded that God reaffirms the sanctity of human life by saying, um, if a man sheds, uh, if, you know, if one sheds man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. That each human being, as an image bearer of God, uh, is of of worth and dignity as an image bearer. And for one to murder, one to take life unjustly, the appropriate and right and just punishment is death itself. That murderer forfeits his own life because God says, I put such a value on my image bearers, upon human beings that are made in my likeness. And so friends, murder is a big deal. Um, and we see here, friends, that this is, this is not a time for combat. This is not, David and Abner are at peace. Abner is to be considered by Joab an ally. Joab was not to consider Abner his enemy. But nevertheless, because of blood spilt during war, he decides that he will take matters into his own hands and he himself will assassinate Abner. So friends, what do, we, what do we make of this? Well, friends, again, 
We see that this is a heinous crime. It reveals the character of Joab and his treachery. It reveals something of Joab's character, that he's a, a man who is on revenge. In fact, friends, it also almost indicates uh, something of Joab's personality, that he is a man who is very conscious about his position. A little bit later on, he'll kill uh, another man named Amasha for essentially the same reasons. Amasa will be appointed the commander of David's army, and Joab will kill him himself. Um, and so, friends, we see that bloodthirsty nature of Joab. Well, David hears about it in verse 28, and first and foremost, he professes his innocence. He says, I am forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. He says, before the Lord, I did not order Abner to be killed. Because the first assumption everyone's going to make is that this was David's doing. Right? David, the king. Ultimately, the responsibility would fall on him. And it would seem only natural that David would take this opportunity to kill Abner. Now, again, friends, last week we talked about Machiavelli. We talked about his theory that might makes right and that the prince should do whatever it takes to gain power and after power is established in his hands by whatever means necessary, then he could afford to be just and merciful and kind. But there was a sort of ends justifying the means theory. And friends, that is, that is of this world. That is the work of the flesh. Because man in his cunning um, thinks that the end will always justify the means. But that's not how God's word tells us. We are to be concerned as much with the goal, as, as the means to the goal, as the goal itself. Friends, as Christians, we are reminded that God has called us to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus, to be one who is faithful and loyal in love, walking with integrity and uprightness in all of our conduct. So friends, sometimes it may be that we have a good goal in mind, something that is good for us or our families or our friends, and we might justify in our own minds taking less than upright means to get there. But friends, we're reminded by the model of David that that is not the way that the Lord blesses. It's not what the Lord is pleased with. You know, friends, uh, we are seeing here that David ascended to the throne without shedding innocent blood. And he, so he professes that. But it's not, just, it's not enough for David just to make a profession. I had nothing to do with it. He then gives a curse in verse 29. The curse is that that curse, the guilt, would fall on Joab. And he names a number of things. It would fall not on Joab, but also Joab's family, his father's house. Remember, Joab is David's nephew, but he's his nephew by his sister, Zeruiah. So Joab has a whole other house, right? Joab is the son of Zeruiah. That's how he is designated in Scripture. And so may Joab's house never be with one who is, has a discharge or is leprous. That would make that person unclean. If one had continuous discharge or was a leper, he could not assemble with God's people. He couldn't gather at the central sanctuary. He couldn't worship with the saints and bring his offerings. He was, in fact, set apart. He was cast out. He could not dwell with the people lest he bring defilement upon them. So David is pronouncing very serious curses. One who holds a spindle, he's pronouncing a curse of poverty. 
So a curse of uncleanness, a curse of poverty, right? Because the one who holds the spindle, what that means is the, that these wives have been widowed and they have no one to support them. And so they're forced to support themselves. And the main vocation for that would be sewing, right? So this is a description of, of grave poverty. Uh, and then we see death and famine, one who falls by the sword and who lacks bread. So David, David's not holding punches here. David is saying, oh Lord, may you curse Joab and his house for such an ill uh, and wicked deed. And verse 30, we're reminded again, so Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Azahel to death at the battle of Gibeon. Abishai was Joab's helper in this. Presumably he was with him there at that time when he assassinated Abner. But again, David, his hands are tied. Politically speaking, at this point, Joab is a valuable general. And he's not willing to put him to death. So what does he do? Well, he decides to publicly denounce Joab and Verse 31, he's going to make him be a part of the public mourning for Abner. Okay, talk about humiliation, right? The man Joab murdered is now going to be the man that Joab is called to weep over, to attend the funeral, and to make a public showing of mourning. David says, tear, he says to Joab and all the people who are with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn for Abner. David gives to Abner a hero's funeral. This is a a mourning for the entire nation. David says, I am calling on the entire realm to weep and mourn for Abner. He gives to Abner the highest dignity he can with a sort of state funeral. Everyone is going to mourn for Abner. Everyone is going to weep. Uh, It is even David himself. King David follows the bear. So, Abner's going to be buried in Hebner, and David is going to accompany Abner all the way to the grave. And the king himself mourns. So David is torn up about this. This isn't just crass politics. David is truly brokenhearted for the death of Abner. Uh, remember, Abner was, was, was a man who had, who had you know, been so loyal to Saul and to his house year after year after year. David's known Abner since he was a boy, since he was a young man in Saul's court. He's been around Abner. So this isn't isn't somebody that David hasn't known. He's known him for a long time. And so David knows Abner's character. He knows his integrity. He knows his loyalty. And he also knows how he was killed in cold blood by Joab. And so he's brokenhearted over him. Friends, we must continue to pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to help us to have such a, a broken heart for sin in our own lives and in the world around us. Friends, sometimes uh, we can be callous about sin. Uh, we, can, we can get so just desensitized to the evil that pervades around us. And we need the Lord to come and to peel off that, that hard layer, that shell that we put up. Because, friends, there is real injustice. There is real wickedness and evil uh, 
that is perpetrated. And so when we encounter something that's evil, what we do is we pray. We come to the Lord and we pray. We pray for his justice. We pray for his mercy. We pray for his blessing upon the circumstance and those involved. We pray for God to redeem, that he would bring uh, something good out of something that is so evil. Friends, there is much that the word of God has to say about how we are to face a very wicked and evil circumstance. You know, for example, friends, what do you do when someone's murdered? Well, you, you pray for their family. You pray for them, for the, for the, you know, for the murderer themselves. We, we, we're praying through these things, but at the same time, we are coming back to God's word and saying, you know, this is the truth. This is what God has said, uh, even as we hold out God's promises of forgiveness and mercy in Christ Jesus. So David grieves. And in verses 33 to 34, he actually composes a song. Remember, David is the, he is the poet laureate of Israel. He is the sweet psalmist of Israel. And just like he composed a ballad for Saul and Jonathan, so too he composes another song for another fallen hero in Israel, Abner. So do you see what David's doing? He's not just making a show of it. It's not, it's not just trying to get the PR relations crisis under control. David, out of his genuine grief, his love for the Lord, his love for Abner, is seeking to do everything he can to give Abner the honor that he deserves and to proclaim as loudly as he can that what was done to Abner was evil and wicked and ought not to be applauded. Should Abner die as a fool dies? Man, can you just hear how he's in the midst of this, he's rebuking Joab? Should Abner die as a fool dies, murdered in his own, murdered in in the gate, your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. You weren't a prisoner. You weren't in the dungeon. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. This is a tragedy, David says, for the people of God. And all the people wept again over him. You know, friends, sometimes war brings out hostility and enmity. And this is a war between between the tribes. This is, a, this is a civil war. And so the people are reminded, you know, Abner was the one who led the armies of Saul. Abner was the one who led us in battle against the Philistines. Abner was the commander we looked to for, for encouragement in the battle, the one we entrusted ourselves to when the time for fighting came. The people recognize, yes, Abner was a great blessing from the Lord to us. You know, again, Abner wasn't a perfect man. Abner had his failings. He had that whole affair with Rizpah, right? But nevertheless, he was used by God to minister to God's people. Friends, remember, all of our leaders have feet of clay. All of our leaders um, fall short of the mark of Christ Jesus. But we can see every one of those who have ministered to us in Christ's name, and we can give God the glory and thank them for 
the gift that they are. Um, you know, it's God who raises up teachers and leaders for his people. Uh, it's God who sends to us our elders, our pastors, who, who you know, anoints and, and sends those to us to minister to us. So, friends, we can give God the glory and be thankful for them. Well, in verse 35, the people, after the funeral, try to persuade David to eat some food, to eat bread. But David is determined to continue his mourning and his fasting. And he declares that he won't taste anything until the sun goes down. Uh, That is his appointed time for fasting. In verse 36, the people see it and they're pleased by it. As everything the king did pleased all the people. The people recognize that this is not just for show. The people are seeing, hearing the grief of David. They're seeing how he's mourning for Abner, the son of Ner. And they recognize that this is genuine godly grief. This isn't some sort of, you know, pretense. This isn't David just trying to go through the motions. This is genuine sorrow. Friends, that is what we're called to. Um, you know, we, Christ has called us to be those that are, are genuine in our grief and genuine in our sorrow. And we need the Lord to help us in that. Verse 37, here's the key. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Ner. The upshot of all of this is that God uses not only the death of of Abner, but also the mourning and all that David did afterwards to affirm to the people that David did not intend to kill Abner. Again, this is part of the argument that the author of 2 Samuel is making, that when David ascends to the throne, he ascends without shedding innocent blood. He ascends to the throne as the righteous king that God himself has anointed. Because in effect, friends, remember, David is that model king. There is no king who reigns, who's, who is of higher esteem in the history of the nation than David himself. He is the model by which every other king is measured. And even Solomon, in all his wisdom, we see that he doesn't measure up to the stature of David. But as great a king as David is, he leads us to see the greater glory of Christ. Because, friends, the Lord Jesus was perfectly holy, perfectly just, perfectly faithful. And the administration of his kingdom is one without partiality, without politics getting in the way, without any manner of unrighteousness. And so, friends, when we look through David, when we see him at his best, we're reminded of Christ and his glory and his righteous rule. So let's long for that. Uh, Let's long for Christ to continue to lead us and minister to us in righteousness. And then in verses 30 to 38 to 39, we see David's conversation with his servants. Um, And again, he affirms to them that Abner was no mere man. He was really a prince and a great man in Israel. And he's fallen. This is a tragedy for the nation. And he was gentle today. David says, I showed mercy and restraint 
towards Joab. And I showed great love and loyalty to Abner in this funeral. But the sons of Zeruiah, Abishai, and Joab are more severe than I. These are bloody men. And notice that final line, the Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. This is a declaration, but friends, this is David recapping and just echoing what God had already said. Remember in Deuteronomy 32, God says through Moses, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord repay, pay back the evildoer. Friends, again, do not be concerned, especially in your own life, about the scales of, of scales of justice being thrown out of whack. There is time to seek redress in the courts. There is time for us to seek adjudication and mediation. But friends, always remember that no matter how much the human attempt at justice may fall, and because, friends, you know that, that there are limits to the justice that can be done in this life. Notice and remember that there is perfect justice at the tribunal of God. The Lord is able to repay to the very perfect degree all that is done in this life. He is able to repay the wicked according to his wickedness. Friends, this actually teaches us a little bit about the doctrine of hell. So friends, we know that God's wrath is revealed in this world uh, and that God will sometimes visit the evil of wicked men upon them and there will be judgment. We see that. We know that. We think of examples like, uh, you know, we, we think of the death of uh, we think of Pharaoh in his court. We think of uh, the death of Ahab and Jezebel, right? We see that God's judgment falls uh, many times in this life. But friends, the doctrine of hell teaches us that God is able uh, to punish each person according to their works. So, so friends, the way that Jonathan Edwards described it is, uh, you know, every sin no matter how small, is worthy of eternal judgment, right? So, so think in your mind of every sin you can imagine. And, and think, look in your catalog and think of the, what we consider the smallest sin. The smallest sin. The sin that, that we and ourselves say, well, this can't really hurt anybody. Maybe a, a white lie or you know, somebody shoplifted a pack of gum. Now, these may be minor offenses horizontally, that don't cause much damage. But remember, friends, there's, not, there's more than one direction when it comes to our sin. When we sin against others, we always sin against God. So when I steal from my neighbor, friends, I am also rebelling against the God of creation who commands me to respect the property that he gives to others and not to take it for myself. So friends, at the heart of every sin is a hostile, rebellious spirit against a holy and sovereign God. Every sin is, as R.C. Sproul says, cosmic treason. So going back to, to Edwards, 
He says, friends, we can think of, a, of an infinite line. So if we think of a line, something that's a, a finite length and width, right? It may be of, of infinite, you know, of, of length and, and uh, height, right? So it could be this, but it has an infinite length, right? Every one of our sins is worthy of infinite guilt, infinite punishment. But, friends, our sin can be compounded. There are more heinous sins that can be committed, right? And so there can be an addition of that guilt and transgression. And, friends, God is able to punish the evildoer according to his wickedness, right? So some people might say, well, we're all going to go to hell, so we might as well just live it up. Well, friends, the scriptures tell us that you know, for every one of our sins, the punishment of hell, unless we repent, uh, will be all the more severe. You know, Edwards used to say that the sinner in hell would give all that he had in the world beside to make the number of his sins one less. This is the sinner in hell would, would give anything to ameliorate his sufferings for just a little bit, that he had one less sin to be punished for. And friends, that's not, that's not scare tactics. That's just trying to get into what David is saying here. That there is a perfectly proportionate penalty metered out by God to the wicked according to their wickedness. Friends, that the sinner in hell suffers not unjustly, but perfectly justly. So friends, with that sober reality in mind, let's be reminded that we are in great need of the cross of Christ. We're in great need of the Lord Jesus and his perfect righteousness. Let us be thankful that his blood was shed for the remission of our sin. And though our sin is of infinite heinousness, Christ is able to satisfy it perfectly. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the righteous judge of all the earth, able to repay the wicked according to his wickedness. Father, we do confess that we are all by nature wicked people, but Father, that in Christ you have forgiven, you have pardoned and justified. Father, we pray that you grant us the fear of you, Lord, that we may not take our sin lightly, uh, but that we would depend on your sovereign grace and that we would rejoice in your steadfast love. Father, thank you for this portrait of David. Thank you for Christ, the greater David, whose reign and administration is perfect and just. Father, we ask your blessing in his name.